This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Hey, are you ready to hang with your digital besties? What day is it? Is a podcast covering every girl problem, life struggle, and biz reality out there. So pour yourself a glass of wine and get ready to laugh, relate, and celebrate not having it all together. One thing I found with podcasting, and like, again, this is not to take anything away from bloggers or influencers, is that like, you have to have some depth. It's not about the way you look. It's not about what you have. It's not about um, a pretty picture or an edited video. Like you have to have something to say. I call it the rule of 25. Anybody can get on a mic 25 times and talk about their life, but like, what does it look like after and how do you keep people coming back? And so there needs to be depth to the conversation. And I feel like this medium um, amplifies some of that depth or also exposes some of that depth more than others. Welcome back, friendships. It is What Day Is It Wednesday, your digital version of Happy Hour. I am Bailey Stanworth, one half of this podcast, and we have Jackie with her towel on her head here. And I am Jackie Rye, other half of this dysfunctional podcast, towel on head girl, because I just showered and we were supposed to record in a bit, but I was like, let's just get it out of the way. So I'm wearing a towel on my head. I'm wearing underwear basically on a crop top <laughs> and i have apple cider wow i have apple cider Thanks on my armpits we're doing a, we're doing a detox what a picture you're painting right now <laughs> honesty is the policy gotta keep it real maybe someone else out there has apple cider on their armpits right now and can relate i'm really glad that i can't smell you <laughs> i told jackie before because she, she was telling me about this that she's just gonna have like fruit flies living in her armpits That's honestly terrible to say don't, I wouldn't wish that upon any soul. I don't wish fruit flies living any. Uh, honestly, like I'm an animal lover, but I fucking hate fruit flies. Like they can just die. Wait, I have one person I'd wish it upon. Actually, no, it's controversial. I'm going to take that back. And oh, I can guess the person. It was political. Is he, is he a president? Let your mind wander. <laughs> Listeners. Any. Oh man. Um okay friends, well we're going to switch things up this week. We are not going to do a Cupid Psycho because I was kind of inspired to like dive into a little bit of a I guess more like a deeper conversation um after this weekend. Yeah. I'm like what day is it? <laughs> wink wink. Plug plug. <laughs> a cool, Such cool, a loser. Cool, cool cool. Guys, I had a margarita. Sorry. <laughs> Wait. It's three. Actually, that's why I had two margaritas. You went to Hugo's without me, baby. I'm gonna actually have to get off this podcast real quick. <laughs> um, You're canceled. Okay, Sorry. No, don't come for me. Um, no, I had a a client shoot this morning, and then I treated the people who like did me solid favors. Anyways, I don't really want to hear about it. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest but so i ordered the no i'm kidding um yeah. <laughs> um yeah anyways so i was watching um one of our mutual like instagram friends stories ruby gillette she put up this vulnerable post um about being fired from her job she works in the film industry like she's not an actress but she does kind of like stand in work and she posted about being fired for her weight and i just thought it was I mean, I like to say it's crazy. I don't think it's crazy because obviously it happens all the time. Like I've seen it. That industry is just always very aesthetically based. 
but she's not big like she's a, a very thin girl like and I just thought it was crazy that we're still having this conversation and that people are still shocked by this conversation so I like emailed Jackie because I was like let's just like if you're open to it let's skip cute but psycho this week and just kind of like dive into some stuff because obviously I have a bit of experience in this. I had an eating disorder and I haven't like fully shared that on here. And I'm sure one day I will like really dive into it. I just, again, want to be very intentional and do it the right way because I think it's something a lot of people struggle with in secret and I don't want to handle that the wrong way. Um, but yeah, I just was reading Ruby's story and it to me was a little bit crazy because I had A, just kind of like gone through something on the weekend that I knew was definitely based on my weight, which I will share with you guys in a minute. And then I had also been fired from a job based on my weight because I used to model for a Vancouver yoga brand, which I won't name because I don't know if I don't want to get sued, but you can use your imagination and it's just very well known. Um, But I remember I had gone on a vacation to Europe and this is when I was in like the peak of my eating disorder and I would like so for people who maybe haven't met me or like don't know my body proportions right now I don't weigh myself but I'm 5'9 and I would guess I'm probably around 150 like with muscle and like everything and just height like I'm probably 150 at that point I was 120 so for my height like that is quite thin um and I came back and I weighed 125 and I remember them being like, well, you put on a bit of weight, the clothes, it's just about the clothes. It's not about you. And we're going to have to like, it was a really awkward conversation. So I just, my heart really went out to her when I saw that. Wait, I, you've never told me this story before, which is crazy. So- yeah. I, so I worked for Lululemon like for a couple of years and that wasn't my job. I wasn't a model for them. Um, I worked at one of their education. It's called the GEC, the Guest Education Center, which is basically like fancy for customer service center or call center. And I answered phones and I worked um, kind of more on like web and e-commerce stuff. And then one of my like extended, one of my family's ex-girlfriends who I like my family was very close with worked in head office and she had reached out to me. and was like, hey, would you ever want to like model? We're looking for some models. And I was like, sure. She's like, it pays a hundred bucks an hour. I was like, sign me up. Um, cause I was a broke ass bitch and I was like hundred bucks an hour. Fuck. Yeah. Uh, and then I ended up doing it for probably like a year. I did like the web images. So not like lifestyle. Like I would just go into a photo studio and like pretend I was running and yeah. Um, but then I went on that trip and came back and definitely I felt super insecure about it because I had I mean, at that point I was anorexic, so I wasn't really eating. And then when I was in Europe, I was like eating all the time. And so I could tell my body had changed. But when I came back to hear that from someone else just made me feel. And I mean, I get it because this also was probably seven years ago. So it's not the conversations of body positivity that are happening now definitely weren't happening the same way then. So, yeah, it was just... Can you walk us through what you felt like after they said that to you? Oh, it just made me feel like shit, obviously, but it made me spiral deeper into, like, my eating disorder because I was, like, someone's just validated for me that I am overweight or I am fat in my stomach or I... And I'm not saying that I am fat because, like, I know that that 
I don't have the right to say that, but just that was my feeling in that moment because someone else was telling me all of the things I had thought about myself that were my insecurities. So it was really difficult to actually like have that external voice and then lose a job from it. So when I saw Ruby share that seven years or six years later or whatever it is, I'm just like to see someone so stunning and so not overweight be going through that. I, my heart just went out to her. And obviously, just um, just to let you guys know, we've obviously talked to Ruby that we were going to mention this. So she knows, right? Yeah. I mean, I've like shared it on my stories. I've talked about it. She's totally fine. Like, I th- I think she's using her voice in such a great way. And she knows. And like, maybe we'll have her on to the podcast at one point. And she can like really share her own side of the story because that's definitely not my story to tell. It just reminded me of my experience in that industry so upsetting to see her go through that I mean if you guys don't know maybe you live outside of Canada she's a local influencer to Vancouver but she's always kept it so real actually she recently transitioned into a more powerful message behind her Instagram and really does things for herself now which I really respect doesn't post things to look pretty she posts what she likes not what people like which is super cool and I feel like the influencer world is definitely going there one day but for someone to share that raw of a story I feel like says a lot and I respect her so so much for that because then it's like opening yourself up for everyone else to see that insecurity that you maybe had because of this one person who thought you weren't worthy enough of a certain look a hundred percent I mean if anybody wants to see her original post I did save it to my highlights under I think it's under realness um is one of my highlights but I like I wrote something on top of her post um because she shared like um I think it was like a bathing suit photo and you look at her and you just see like a stunning girl but it is it's really hard to talk about that and like put it out there publicly because I also and I don't know if maybe you feel this way too Jackie but like when I'm sharing stuff that's maybe more vulnerable I always get insecure about the people I know seeing it more than like someone that I don't and I, I, I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's maybe you feel like there's gonna be more judgment or m- more questions around it because somebody feels more comfortable coming to you. But yeah, to put that out there for anyone to send to someone, I think is just really brave. And I commend her so much for using her voice. I definitely feel that. But I think my insecurities when I, sh- which I don't even really share vulnerable stuff. I'm not at that place yet where I feel comfortable. I'm hoping one day I get there. But like to share that stuff and have people maybe who already don't like me or don't love me is more where my fear lies yeah I get that I mean I've definitely thought had that thought process before I think more in the beginning but now I'm just like those aren't my people if they don't love me like people aren't gonna love me and I I know that came with time and like and I'm obviously still like I'm gonna have those thoughts of like well can you just love me but (laughs) I know that every single person in this world is going to have people they don't click with and that's fine um my personality type it just irks me when I don't know why people don't like me so it's like eats me alive but I think like but that's a that's not a you problem that's a them problem like and I'm sure there's the exception where if you maybe were like being a bitch to someone which you don't really do (laughs) I can't come across that way sometimes but we all like we all can we all have our moments but in general it's going to be something that's maybe triggered it for them. And that's like a deep rooted issue and stemming from, from that versus mm-hmm. like, they just 
are like, nah, I don't like this girl because of her right eyebrow. Like, I don't know. <laughs> hey, I like your right eyebrow. <laughs> I'm like, I was looking you know? at my right eyebrow. <laughs> But um, no, I think it's like really important moving forward to kind of normalize these conversations. And that's kind of why we're here today. But also like in those group chats that you guys maybe witness or a part of or in your at a party and there's not necessarily always men, but women to do this where they body shame people. Like I think it's really important that we start mm-hmm. calling people out and correcting them. And even it's so hard, like when you have friends who call themselves overweight when they're not that one's a touchy one actually I'm not really sure how I would it is I mean like even for example like I have friends who are smaller than me and I mean I've also probably done this on the flip side as well to someone who I may be smaller than and said like heard them say like well I'm so like I can't pull it off it I'm too big or something and I'm like well if you're big what am I you know Mm -hmm. what I mean like I think we need to be more cognizant of our words and how they can affect other people because obviously someone saying that doesn't have ill intention towards someone else but it does come off and it can trigger someone else's insecurity and so I think for me that's something I've been very mindful of lately and like even challenging my own thoughts like I'm someone who because of my eating disorder like I can look at someone else and compare my body to them whether it's bigger same size smaller like whatever and I just, whenever I kind of catch myself in that and I challenge myself to be like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like actually just stop doing that. And I think it really is that just kind of self-awareness, which isn't easy, but if we can remind ourselves, I think it's pretty powerful. And I think like a good place to start is, which I've seen the post circulating. And I think we had a conversation about this in Kelowna. I saw a post circulating around recently about just not commenting on people's weight both Mm -hmm. ways is so important because you do not ever know what someone's going through oh the amount of times you guys when I was insanely sick not eating throwing up my food that I got told I looked amazing that like you don't know what goes on behind the scenes you don't know like who was that sorry I don't remember his name but the actor who just passed away who was Black Panther yeah um Chad S. Westwick yes he got kept getting ripped apart because of his weight loss and nobody knew that he had cancer. Like you just don't know someone's story. So it really, really should not be a topic of discussion. Someone's weight. And then it's also hard too, because I feel like I have friends who maybe are getting too thin and maybe you can help me. And then some listeners who maybe don't really know how to approach the conversation, but say you notice your friend getting too thin. How would you have wanted to be approached in that time in your life? Or if even, it's such a hard one. It's so hard. And that, like, that is really when we do have the conversation about, like, my full story and, like, eating disorders. I want to be so mindful of because, I mean, I'll tell you, like, a a little bit of what I think. But I think that's such a sensitive thing, too. And I also, just from my experience, there was nothing anyone could have said to me. If I'm being completely honest, there was nothing. Like, people telling me I look good. I think I definitely wouldn't ever tell someone who you think is too thin that they look good because they will feed off of that. But there's nothing you could have said to me in a supportive sense that really would have got me out of it. I think it's just, I think it's just constantly checking in is what I would do and not coming at it as you're checking in on their eating habits. It's just checking in on them as a human being and letting them know that you're there for them. So like maybe then you can become this comfortable safe space that if, 
they're ready to have that conversation that you'll be that person they can trust like that I, I yeah it's hard it's one of those situations I feel like that everyone's probably different as well so it's mm-hmm. hard for but sure I yeah. definitely struggle with those conversations to have with friends because I mean I everyone's probably seen it especially if you're a woman seen it in other women their friend get noticing them get really thin or working out a lot and you don't ever want to overstep and you know what I think I would say for me it's probably easier to have a conversation with someone because I've been through it that I can like come from a place of like I've been there and if you haven't it's a little harder but Again, I still don't think that's even the answer. So I don't know. If anybody has recommendations of someone who specializes in eating disorders or eating disorder recovery that you would love to hear on here, please let us know because we would genuinely love to have that conversation. Yeah, we've been talking about it for probably since we started the podcast with Bailey. Obviously, being suffering through what she's gone through, she wanted to make sure that it's someone who would actually bring like the proper information yeah I just I just want to be very educated in it because again like I feel there are so many people who in some shape or form it it might not be the same severity but have gone through something or had those thoughts and I just want to make sure that yeah it's it's helpful like it's not just a conversation about it without value Mm -hmm. um but yeah I'll tell you another fucked up story from this weekend so Jackie kind of already knows this. I do. I couldn't wait for this. Also, kind of my fault. I will say that. What? Well, just I, I shouldn't. No, 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 no. Not okay. That I take it back. Not my fault, but I kind of like expected what I was getting into. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know what I have to say about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was talking to a guy, and we were like maybe planning to meet up, and I was like not really sure if I was gonna a because of COVID and b. He was downtown and (sighs) you guys, he was an NHL player and I just embarrassed to even say that because roll your eyes. I know I roll mine too. Um, but yeah, I was, I was trying to be, I think I always play devil's advocate and say like, okay, give them the benefit of the doubt. We can't group together all NHL players that they're all bad. They're not. Totally should have known. <laughs> but he, yeah, no. And here's the thing. I wasn't looking at this like this guy's going to be great boyfriend material. Mm-hmm. I was just like, I don't know. Like, maybe I'll Let's... get a couple of free dinners, have some fun out of it. But like, <laughs> you guys get a couple free dinners. <laughs> what? Get a couple free dinners, you said. Yeah, whatever. We thought that I have no remorse now. I can see whatever the fuck I want. Could be fun. Um, yeah, Good it could be, could be fun. But anyways, I ended up going downtown and my friend Nikki came with me thank fucking god so he was at his friend's like rooftop patio and they were just playing some drinking games so I was like whatever I'm gonna step outside of my comfort zone literally and corona literally so we go downtown and you guys I walk into this apartment we I also would like to put this out there we facetimed so like this isn't like his first time ever really like seeing me in person but like not just from a dating app and he comes over hugs me we play this drinking game like right away yeah i want to just say though he facetimed you to make sure you weren't a catfish which i kind of get like i mean i also like on the flip side would like to know that you're not a catfish as well but can you catfish on the app that you use i don't think so because it links well i don't know maybe you could we can't talk about the dating app guys it's it's kind of a private thing but (laughs) it's very hard to 
to catfish on that app i feel it's connected to a lot of your socials it's connected to a lot of your socials but also like people catfish all the time on social media so i get that and i think you can catfish on anything honestly if you really really wanted to like I, i think this one's definitely has it would make it more difficult like you can't screenshot on it you can't video record on it or you get kicked off of it but um so yeah, we had FaceTimed and I go downtown, we walk into this apartment, we he gives me he comes over, gives me a hug, we play this drinking game. Like they were already like just getting started, so we just like went right straight into this drinking game. And then right after the drinking game, he like goes out on the patio, like doesn't even come over to me. I'm like, well, that's fucking weird. And then Nikki and I are like everybody like starts slowly walking out to the patio. So we go out there. He's like in a conversation with his friend, and I'm just like, what the fuck? I'm like, okay. So Nikki and I are just kind of talking and then one of his other friends like sparks up a conversation and I just like kind of start talking to him and me and Nikki are just like conversing with who's like around us. Um, and his friends like offered to get us a drink. He never offered to get us a drink. Um, and then this other like there's two of his buddies who I don't know what they did. Like I don't I don't know if they were teammates. I don't know if they were normal Vancouver people like I have no clue. I, I, that stuff doesn't matter to me. And we were talking about like how they gone golfing and then I like try and bring him into the conversation. I'm like, how was golfing? Like, did you lose? Did you win? Like, did you have fun? And like, I got like a one word answer. I'm like, okay. And then his other friend chimes in. So I just keep talking to his other friend. And then he asks me like, cause I had just done um, a team dinner for play. And he asked me like how that was. And I like tried to keep it like more open-ended of a conversation. Nothing. I'm like, this is a fucking joke. Like, I'm ready to bounce. And I'm like, I still got a drink in my hand. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to finish this. And then Nikki and I can, like, take off. And this other guy who's there was super fucking funny. So Nikki and I ended up staying and talking to him for a long time. And Nikki got a date out of it. So, like, hey, maybe that's how it's supposed to work out, you know? You win some, you lose some. You win some, you lose some. But I have a hunch that because of how this played out and this is again not something that I'm taking on myself like this is just how fucked up situations can be and I just know that I'm not the only person who's ever been through this so I want to like open up that conversation you know but it had to have been that I walked in and I was not a five foot four 100 pound girl you know what I mean like I feel a especially because he's an NHL player he probably gets a lot of girls totally fine like not shaming that but because I'm five nine and a curvier body type like I think that's literally the only thing I can think of because I don't fucking know yeah it's hard I mean especially because you guys and like maybe people listening are like okay Bailey's just getting in her head but I think it totally could be but I like I've dissected this and I feel like because you guys were talking for a short period of time the only thing it could be based off was your look exactly honestly 100 percent. and i know that you're not saying and i would rather you say that be honest and be like no it's not that it's like that that's the reality of it and i think that that just goes to show how fucked up it is that i don't know and i i don't think i'm a catfish am i a catfish? no oh my god you're (laughs) everyone who imagine i'm just like a fucking catfish probably if listeners aren't if listeners are listening right now and they've never met you then they're probably like i wonder if she actually is catfish and facetunes all her photos i don't i don't facetune my photos if anything i'll smooth out a wrinkled shirt you guys but that would be (laughs) 
If you were a catfish, then he would have FaceTimed you and not even invited you out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but this is also exactly why, um, A, I think social media gives people complexes because you can't tell, like, people's height and then you, like, meet someone and you feel, like, shit about yourself as, like, this situation. But then also, like, why I've just been more inclined, and I was doing this before the situation, so this dude gets no credit for inspiring me, but to, like, point out more of like the angles that aren't flattering or like the pictures that maybe I look at and I don't want to post because I see an insecurity whereas like I think showing that might help someone else and I am not the queen of doing this I there are so many photos I still do not share but like I just if I can have that one moment of courage to share it then I think that it is important to do it because I know I'm not the only person who's walked into a room maybe had someone look them up and down and then you feel like shit Mm -hmm. so yeah I just wanted to share that story because I know I'm not the only one who's gone through it and don't ever talk to an NHL boy and like Bailey's I mean Bailey's (laughs) friggin hot like I'm just gonna hype you up real quick okay you're (laughs) hot that's not why I'm telling the story but I mean I would I know you're not but like I just need people to the listeners to know because if they've never met you maybe they're like a little bit confused but like you're hot you're funny you're super successful like I don't know what else it could have been unless you really sucked at drinking games (laughs) no I was actually really fucking good at it I'm not even gonna lie or the only other thing I thought the drinking game he was like oh she like good one like blah 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 and then after that he was like done I was like Okay. The only other thing I could think is he has a girlfriend and he was recruiting girls for his friends. Maybe. But I I mean, I didn't Google him, so I actually don't know. Maybe. But I want to do if he was, he was doing a real fucking bad job. (laughs) Yeah. He should have been wingmanning. But very, very interesting story all around. And if we take any lessons away from here, it's that. Hell no to NHL. (laughs) hell no to the nhl okay (laughs) all of the skinny confidential him and her podcast listeners are gonna be like watch someone dating an nhl player and then come for us (laughs) we're not generalizing all okay no we're not i i definitely know people who are friends with wives of nhl players and they love their life so i'm very happy for them but you know what not for me it's a no for me dog it's on that nhl boy it's and not even a man a boy it's we're a gonna no. avoid the the nhl for a little bit maybe we'll try like a nba or like a mbl we're talking to a couple new guys so we'll see how those ones perfect very good <laughs> she's got them lined up guys um i don't know why in covid i'm like yeah now's the time for me to start i know <laughs> that's okay oh fucking idiot Okay. Um <laughs> calls herself a fucking idiot. <laughs> Self-awareness, you guys. I told you it's key. Okay, it's the thoughts. Oh, it's the thoughts. It's the it's thoughts, thoughts we, have we have in, in the, the shower. Shower, shower, shower thoughts. thoughts. Okay, you ready for this one? Yeah. The only time incorrectly is spelled incorrectly is when it's incorrectly. The only time incorrectly is spelt incorrectly is when, is it's, when it's spelt incorrectly, incorrectly. oh <laughs> that's a good one kind of messes with your head let that sit with you for a second 
I know. Bam- bamboozled. <laughs> bamboozled. Yeah. So that's your Thanks for that. that. No worries. Um, okay, friendships. Well, that was a long intro, but we have a great episode with, honestly, Michael Bostick. We've been trying to podcast with for probably over a year. We were very sad because it was supposed to be in person at the Dear Media studio, but covid and we just didn't want to wait on it any longer because he is such an intelligent intentional entrepreneur um for those who don't know he's the founder of dear media which is a major female-driven podcast network um podcasts like the blonde files the papaya podcast the skinny confidential him and her podcast obviously which michael is a co-host on so yeah he really shares so much info in this episode Yeah, guys, and it's a great one as well because if you've ever thought about starting a podcast or where to even start, he talks a little bit about that and he references references some episodes you can go find on his podcast, deep diving into like where to really start and how to stand out from the crowd and how to get in there because it is such a big market now. But like I guarantee one of the podcasts you listen to is probably from Dear Media, which is super cool. They're killing the game. They just got funded a crazy amount of money for their next year, I believe, which is just goes to say a lot about what they're doing over there. I'm so excited that we finally got to sit down with him, even though it wasn't in the beautiful sun of LA COVID free, but it is what it is. You got to do what you got to do. Yeah. And he lays so many kind of like knowledge and truth bombs and just reminders of how important it is to like step outside your comfort zone and just little things you can do every day to really keep working towards growth and longevity which I thought was really a great takeaway from this episode so we'll stop blabbering so that you can listen to Michael the more intelligent person talk um but enjoy the what enjoy the episode friendships all right friendships we're back and this guest this week you might recognize he's got some titles um One of them is dad. One of them is serial entrepreneur. My personal favorite is Susan. So please welcome Michael Bostick. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm excited. I thought that I was shedding that title of Susan, um, but it seems to haunt me still. Oh no, it's here to stay. You might not be traveling right now, but I don't know. It's it's here to stay. Um, so most of our listeners are obviously going to know you as Lauren's husband. I know you have your own identity, which we're not trying to take away from. Uh, <laughs> but can you kind of like give us a bit of your background, your childhood, where you grew up, all the good stuff? Sure. Um, grew up in San Diego, California, a place called Rancho Santa Fe, a little bit um, inland of Del Mar. Um, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've been running businesses since I've been out of college. Um, You know, always tell people that I'm probably the worst employee possible. Like I just, I just don't do well working for other entities. And it's been like that my whole life. I think my first job, um, I worked as a landscaper, then I worked at McDonald's and I was literally the worst employee ever. I'm always just somebody that's beat at the tune of my own drum, um, willing to take chances, willing to kind of push the envelope. Um, because I, I firmly believe that like for me to be happy, I have to kind of be the captain of my own ship. That's not to say that I don't think that there's other um, opportunities for individuals to work within great organizations. But for me personally, I've always been very entrepreneurial. Um, and some of your listeners may know me from the podcast Skinny Confidential Him and Her, which I host with my wife, Lauren, um, her brand, The Skinny Confidential. Um, and now most recently, the CEO of the Dear Media Podcast Network, um, which is a podcast network focused on amplifying female voices. 
Did you, I want to go back to McDonald's. Did you get fired or did you choose to leave? No, I quit. I'll tell you the story. I was in there. <laughs> um, maybe this is not good to say on air, but I had a fake ID before I even had a driver's license <laughs> and not like a fake ID for 18, but 21. I was 15 years old with a 21 year old ID. And we used to sneak into the casinos here in California. Um, and gamble and play poker. And I used to go in there with like a hundred bucks. And my goal was, okay, if I could go in there and I lose the hundred bucks, I quit. But if I win, then I would just keep the winnings. And so I was working at McDonald's at the time. And I think like work for two weeks straight and maybe make like 300 bucks, like just like making nothing, sweeping the streets, um, cleaning the toilets, flipping the fries, doing everything. And I went to the casino one day and made like 700 bucks in one sitting when I was like 15 years old. And I walked into McDonald's the next day and said, I quit, never went back. And like, you know, that was really um, my first foray into realizing like, okay, like maybe there's a smarter way for me to, at least for myself to go about making money um, in my career. Yeah. No more. Do you want to supersize it? <laughs> I will say, you know, I made a mean ice cream cone. I used to, I used to not follow any regulations and stack that thing as high as it could go. And people, when they got in the drive-thru, like they were just so pumped to get that ice cream cone. It was like a quadruple serving. I wish you still worked there. It's good. I, I mean, I think everybody, every young person should go and start in service industry jobs and see what it's like and, and realize how hard it is to make a dollar. Because, you know, like I said, I worked at McDonald's, I worked as a landscaper, I worked at a car wash, I did all the things um, and realized it wasn't for me, but it also taught me to appreciate how hard it is to make a dollar. Oh, I agree 100%. I have this, I talk about this all the time because I feel like well, I worked in the restaurant industry for six years and it's frowned upon, I feel like, because it's just... People think of it as an unhealthy environment, but I will carry those skills that I made there for the rest of my life. And I really think it's taught me to have a heart, a strong work ethic and to multitask. And I do recommend as well, anyone starting out should start in the customer service. And I hear McDonald's has an amazing program. I don't know about back then, but everyone talks so highly about it even now. No, they do. I mean, it was, it was, a, it was a great starting job. My wife says the same thing. She worked as a, as a bartender in the service industry for a long time. And, you know, when we talk to young people, we're saying like, go out and try that and just see if it's for you or not. Um, but I think it's, it's good to humble yourself and realize like how difficult it is to make a living. And it, it gives you a different appreciation for, for money and, and for working hard. Agreed. Um, we want to know what a day in the life looks like for Michael Bostic. I'm sure it's changed in the last few months. You have a baby now. So walk us through from night to day. What do you do? You know, it's funny, like, um, there's so, so many things now, but, um, you know, when Lauren and I, when she got pregnant, people said, Oh, well, you're going to slow down and this is going to stop you from doing a lot. And, you know, at the time we already had so much going on, you know, when I was running some other businesses and we do the, obviously we do the podcast together six times a month and she has her blog and brand and, you know, I run dear media, but I think having the child actually enabled us to do more and focused us even more. One, we're, we're no longer doing it just for ourselves. Obviously we're thinking about this, this baby that we brought into the world, but two, like what I found personally, when you have a child, it forces you to get really organized with your time because where you can kind of be la di dog going through the day on your own without the baby. Now you have to be accountable to somebody that 100% needs your help all the time. So like my day to day, um, I get up super early between five and six every day. Um, I have a pretty long morning routine, like that includes spending time with the baby and like getting organized. And then, you know, my day-to-day full-time right now is I'm operating Dear Media. I have a team of like 25, 30 people. We have 51 shows now, some announced, some not. 
um, running that whole business as a full-time thing. And then in between that is obviously coordinating uh, time to produce our podcast, which, which we still do and have never missed an episode in four years. And then finding time with my wife to like actually have a personal life. So it's a pretty jam packed day, but I'm also somebody that needs to be busy to, to be engaged. So um, yeah, it gets, it's, it's, it's a little bit chaotic. No days the same, but um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it. I really find it hard to believe that you were la-di-da even before Zaza. I feel like you've always been quite organized, but maybe now you're just hyper-organized. Yeah, you know what's funny is I'm not that, I'm not as organized as people think, but when I start, when I get my my mind around something and I, I think I'm an extreme executor, like I'm, you know, somebody that, like I'll see things through. If I say I'm going to do something, I do it. Like I don't, I don't half-ass anything and I really go full force. And I always tell Lauren and people that I work with that like I'm willing to suffer through anything if it's a, if it's a goal I have in mind and I'm willing to, I think maybe I'm willing to do things that other people wouldn't necessarily do. Like when I think about early days, Dear Media, people don't realize that I was also running two other businesses full-time as CEO while I started Dear Media. Like Dear Media was the side hustle and so was the podcast. And I was living in San Diego um, and three, four times a week, I would drive at 10 o'clock at night, back and forth between LA and San Diego, hosting the show, running the other two business, doing this. Then um, I think like people, like I, I kind of wish I documented more of that because I think people think, oh, like Jeremy just kind of came out of nowhere and it was easy. But in the beginning, I had one other person with me um, and was living in another city doing this back and forth. And I think like, if you want something bad enough, you got to do what's necessary. And so I, I have very little patience for people that say they want to do something um, or, or, tr- or create this big venture and aren't willing to like sacrifice what it actually takes to, to do it. And I wish more entrepreneurs would talk about some of the sacrifices you need to make in order to accomplish some of these goals. Yeah, there's so many. I mean, people only see really like that, that moment where a brand really takes off or kind of like has that notability but there's so many days leading up to that there's so many behind the scenes so many struggles and like you said sacrifices so I completely agree and that's something that I always try to share a bit more of myself because I wish I'd had that as well you do a great job of that Bailey I feel like you're really connected in your community and super open and honest and you you give people like a glance into the real life of entrepreneurialism when a lot of people don't well thank you you're welcome (laughs) um I'm so curious though is there something you do every single day or like most days that you feel other people wouldn't do like it doesn't have to be business related but just even like a song that pumps you up that's super random or just anything that not a lot of people would do um I don't think that there's a I think that there's a lot of people I I believe that like the role of an entrepreneur is to constantly be evolving and learning and I think like if you're not constantly looking to self-educate and to evolve yourself like you're gonna you're gonna get stuck I think one thing that I do that maybe people don't realize or maybe some people that follow closely is I read books and articles probably two to three hours a day every day non-negotiable like even if it's late into the night or early in the morning and it's like not it's not just about business it could be about anything like one time i i got curious about salt because it used to be more valuable than gold and i read a whole book about salt um and i just i'm constantly reading and trying to learn because i feel like one it's a disconnect and good you know good meditation for me i've never been like somebody that can just sit down and meditate that effectively um but it's a way to disconnect and learn and open mind and i think that if you're going to be leading an organization and and if you're going to be responsible to other people like for me I think not only about the shows that are on Dear Media and my wife and child but I think about all the team members that work within the organization like 
I have a responsibility to them to create an environment where they can thrive and, and feel successful. And if I'm not evolving and looking for new opportunities and thinking, it's hard to do that. Um, so yeah, I think like I'm very disciplined in learning and reading and being thoughtful and like taking time to strategize. Like sometimes I feel guilty because I'll leave, like I won't talk, I'll, I'll take three hours out of the day sometimes during a work day and be like, I can't talk to anybody at work now. I got to go read something, but ultimately it helps me strategize on the overall vision and goals of the business. And I, and I think that's the most uh, effective thing I can do for the for organization. And I, I do believe that reading is a lost art that many um, people don't, don't take seriously anymore and don't do. And so maybe, I don't know if that answers your question, but that is one thing I think I do that a lot of people don't do. Yeah, no. And it's funny because we talked about the power of reading with Lauren when she was on her podcast. Um, so if you haven't listened to that episode, Friendships, go back and listen. It's a great one. But it, it really is. And it's something I feel like, especially now with technology, that it's easier to get sucked into consuming other people's content than to focus on your own growth. We want to know, and I feel like you being with Lauren, even though you have your own identity, the queen of rituals, do you have any sure. of your own rituals that you do every day that you try to maintain? Like say you're traveling and you need to still do this one thing. Yeah. What time is it right now? One fifteen. So Lauren's probably still on her morning ritual at this point. <laughs> uh, things thing goes on and on. My, mine's like, you know, a little bit more condensed. Um, like I try to get in, like she's a little, Lauren, like I describe her as like a, a sea turtle, you know, she's like, she gets to where she's going very effectively, but she's a little bit slower than me. Like, I think we balance each other out. I'm a little bit more fast paced. She's a little slow paced and it, it, one's not necessarily better than the other, just different. Um, but I try to kind of cram it all. in. so, like I said, I wake up really early. I have a pretty extensive supplement routine when it comes to vitamins, um, which I've talked about multiple times. I think if you go to a podcast with Ben Greenfield or Dr. Gonzalez on, on our show, you can hear about that. I won't bore everybody with everyone, but get up early, um, take vitamins, drink um, a lot of water. And then be behind me right now, you see this juve red light therapy. I think right now more than ever, we're stuck indoors and you know we like humans are meant to be in the sunlight. And so I try to get out as much as I can, but if I can't right now, um, what I do is I go and stand in front of this juve. I do about 10 minutes of Wim Hof breathing, which I've found, we've had him on our show, is more beneficial to me than meditation. There was a long period of time when I tried to meditate and I'm sure I can get back to it. But for me, I just don't like the idea of wasting 30 minutes. And I know there's a lot of people that say, oh, well, you get so much more out of it. I feel like I do that in the reading. So I'll do the breathing. And then every day, like I think I don't think there's been one time since quarantine started that I've taken a hot shower. I take a freezing cold shower for three minutes every day. Um, just waking up, I feel like one, it helps burn fat. It helps get, wake you up. It helps keep you, it like teaches you to get into an uncomfortable position first thing in the morning. Um, and in the beginning, you know, it's hard to do, but over time you crave it. And after that, like I'm really much ready to go out the door. Um, and so like, that's about as extensive as my morning routine gets out. Like I'll read some stuff in the morning. It's definitely not as extensive as my wife's, but it, that is a non-negotiable for me where I will do all that stuff in the morning and then spend at least an hour with my daughter Zaza. Like no matter what's going on um, with my business, I, I will take the time to, to sit with her and, and play with her. Um, but that, yeah, that's about it for me. I know Lauren's is like, like a, a whole encyclopedia. I can't believe the cold shower thing. I, I don't think I could ever do that. I've just started doing hot cold showers. I don't think you can. It's, it's hard, but it, it's good for, it energizes me. Like, I feel like that's the most um, beneficial thing that I get out of it. I know, but can you imagine me? Like, I, t I talk about this every podcast, but I take a bath every day. So to take, to transition from a, a warm bath every morning to a cold shower, I don't think I could ever get there. 
it's it's difficult in the beginning, but like I said, in in a weird way, you start to crave it over time because you start to feel the results. And like I just feel like, you know, so many of us shy away from discomfort. And I think like maybe one other thing that I do if you're like outside of reading is I look for at least one or two uncomfortable things to do in the day. Um, the the times where I'm the most wary or like get the most stressed is when things are going well in my life. Like I always tell people in Dear Media, like if thing if you're getting comfortable and things feel like they're going good, like that's just around the time you're gonna get hit in the face with something. And so I try to at least recognize like, hey, life is is can be very uncomfortable and like to put yourself in discomfort so that you're ready for whatever happens is to me is a very stoic practice. And and I think about all the time, like just trying to never get too comfortable. What's something you've done recently that was kind of out of your comfort zone? Hmm. I don't know. I think like, you know, one thing that I've always been a very behind the scenes, like this is not so recently, but I've always been a very behind the scenes operator. So like, um, all the businesses I ran previously to Dear Media, like if you didn't, if I didn't talk about them, you probably wouldn't have known that I was involved. And like one thing that's uncomfortable now is like I'm the head of this media company that's female focused. And with that comes the responsibility of like being a face of something. Um, and it's not always like you don't always have the answers. So I think consciously I've like the way I've approached it is that I'm just going to lay it all out there and be exactly who I am all the time. But like with that comes a lot of tough questions and a lot of hard conversations, especially what's with what's going on in the world this year. Like ultimately like I'm the face of this and there's a lot of responsibility there. I don't, I don't know if that necessarily answers it, but it's a lot of micro things like cold showers, hard workouts, like doing, having tough conversations. If I, I'm somebody that if there's a problem, I don't skirt away from it. I go at it head on. And sometimes that frustrates the hell out of my wife and some of my partners and employees, but like, I just feel like getting the hard stuff to the surface first is, is, is the best and immediately is the right time to do it. And then um, the rest of the stuff kind of falls into place. I don't know, again, I don't know if that fully answered your question, but I feel like it's just a lot of micro hard things that, that we go through um, daily and uh, that I look for. It's so true. We did a podcast with Michelle Romano um, and she mentioned like 4% better or kind of like out of your comfort zone a day is exponential growth per year so I think like you said the micro aspect of it it's just that consistency and like actually looking at it every day then trying to do this one giant thing within the year because it's not really going to move the needle the same way yeah my my biggest fear years ago and you probably heard me say this was public speaking and now you can't shut me up but I think like the way I got past that my wife has always been comfortable is just like you know constantly putting yourself out there and knowing you're gonna get flack and knowing it's not gonna be perfect I mean you guys know doing this podcast it's not always perfect and it's a fast medium and what we say here goes on air and, and you don't always have the luxury of being able to take things back. So, um, you know, just like constantly putting yourself out there and doing things that you wouldn't necessarily find comfortable to me is where you find real growth. Yes, I completely agree with that. Okay. We're going to switch gears here and dive into Dear Media. I want to kind of have you take us back to when you went from being a co-host on the Skinny Confidential Him and Her podcast to really seeing the growth potential within the industry. Kind of how did that evolve and what made you want to start a podcast network? It's funny. People look at Dear Media now and like we touched on earlier, they're like, oh, that was fast. But if you think about one, the Skinny Confidential has been around 10, 11 years now. She's been building that brand and, and our show wouldn't have existed without the platform she built on her blog and social channels. And then two now, I mean, you know, we started our podcast in March of 2016 and I think we have close to 300 episodes now, um, which is a lot in the podcast space. Um, some have made, made more, but it's, it's a lot. That's four years of consistent content. Um, so to me, it, it feels a lot longer than what people think from the outside. 
but you know, one day Lauren and I were sitting down having margaritas in, in Cabo and she was saying, Hey, like, I, I would like you to come and start writing on my blog or on the social channels. And, you know, I'm definitely as far as you can be from a blogger husband. I don't take pictures of her. I don't do outfits. I'm like, I'm not running around behind her with the camera. I don't manage her campaigns. I stay completely out of that. I think for the health of our marriage, that's important. Um, you know, when people call me a blogger husband. I kind of laugh because I literally will take my, my iPhone and take the worst pictures possible and set the bar so low that so she doesn't ask me to do it. Strategy. I just, it's not my thing. It's like me asking her to jump into one of my businesses and, and be the bookkeeper. You know, she'd be like, what are you talking about? Um, but I said, you know, one thing I think would be fun for us to do together and would be a little bit of a carve out from what she's already doing was a podcast together and really starting a show that kind of had that him and her perspective talking about female and male issues and how they collide, giving it from a masculine perspective, a feminine perspective and, and having very candid conversations. So we started doing that um, and it kind of took a life of its own. We started, I mean, we would, we, we, we had a lot of fun with it. In the beginning, it was just answering questions from listeners and readers, how to build a brand, how to have a successful relationship, how to be healthy and answering from our perspective, not always perfectly, but you know, um, doing the best we could to give the advice that we would have wanted at the time. And then, you know, along the way, you know, since both of us had no background in media or podcasting or radio or audio, we got approached by a prominent podcast network and they, they asked us to join. So we thought, wow, like the show maybe is going to make some money and be marketed and get amplified. And we quickly realized that the network we joined just fully didn't understand the digital space. They did not understand how to build a media company across multiple mediums and channels. Um, they didn't understand how to monetize. They were not very good at marketing. They wanted to oversaturate the show with seven to eight ads that we knew the audience wouldn't like and that we didn't care about. I mean, they think at one point they wanted me to, to voice an ad for Supergirl, um, the show. And I was like, listen, like, I'm sure that that show's great, but like, I'm probably not the end person watching Supergirl and like, everyone's going to know it just didn't make sense. So we left and went back to self-producing and said, Hey, let's take a multi-channel approach here to build the show, to market the show, to monetize it. Um, and quickly took it from, you know, a low five figure show to a high seven figure show, um, both in terms of listenership and revenue. And what I, when I looked at the space, I said, you know, this is very male dominated. This is, you know, there's all the top charts at the time were men um, and very few women. And there were so many women that we had met in the space that we felt had either been underrepresented, undermarketed, undermonetized that were having a similar experience to what we had. So I said, okay, what if we not only could help our show, but them as well. And in addition to that, when you think about, cause I'm a commerce guy, like, why is there not a platform that connects female listeners to female hosts where female focused brands could come and say, Hey, like, instead of trying to figure out 50 podcasts and decide that I could just do a network buy. So we created Dear Media um, and the rest is kind of history. I know there's a lot of granularity within there and how that came about. I'm happy to talk through it, but that's really like the inception of, of how Dear Media came about. Women are so tapped into each other too. I feel like, so when you found that niche, of like doing a female driven network I think that's gold but like I know I was listening to your podcast this morning with Amelia and you talked about like always getting asked why women and I'm so curious why do you find it so like why do you think so many people find it so odd when a male steps into a female driven space or wants to work and create a female driven network like why do you think there's still that disconnect well, I think there's that, dis well, I think for multiple reasons, but what I've kind of been trying to be pioneering is like, 
why is that odd, right? Like, I think that the people that, like the people that are asking the question should question themselves first. Like, you know, I go on some bigger media publications, you know, like even like Bloomberg to the world and they ask that question. Like, and my response to them, which maybe is not received well all the time is like, well, why is that your question? Like, why do you find it odd that men and women could work together? My examples of women my entire life, my, my mother was a very strong example. She's like a, a black belt in Tung Soo Do. Um, and when I used to get out of hand and sit up, she never hit me or anything, but she like twist the wrist and like drop me to my knees when I was a little kid. Like, so I wouldn't <laughs> screw around and trust me, I, I needed that and more. Um, but she had her own business forever. Um, you know, like she wore a suit every day to work. Like that was my example. And then my wife obviously is somebody that's extremely strong, has done her own thing, had her own business. Um, a lot of the, my close female friends, same thing, like very strong women, my co-founder in dear media, like she created her business from the ground up DBA is very strong woman. And so like, for me, I've always resonated with strong women and respected them. And like, and just found that honestly, as business partners and as partners in general, they've been sometimes more effective and a lot of times more effective than men and easier to work with. So to me, it felt very natural. And I think a lot of the women I work with on the network feel the same way. I don't, I don't think we would have been able to scale the way we did if they didn't. Um, but yeah, it's, we're in a weird place where it's still taboo for men and women to work together. And like my, my thing here was not to create a place that um, got rid of men or alienated men, but it was to create a space where men and women could work together to even the playing fields a little bit and amplify female voices. And I think to that end, we're being successful. The, the Dear Media team, you know, is men and women of all walks of life. And there's men that guest on the shows. There's obviously men that co-host the shows. There's some men that are going to be single host of shows. Um, but it's just a focus on evening the playing field a little bit more and, and amplifying women. And like from a business perspective, to me, it's just much smarter. I mean, most of like this is generalizing women again, but they're making a lot of the household purchasing decisions. Like you said, they're very connected. Like none of these men care what I'm recommending, but when Lauren, my wife talks about something like there's an impact there, like it, she moves products, moves brands. Like it's, there's a different type of engagement. And so from a business perspective, it just smelled, it felt much smarter. Yeah. It's like, why are Super Bowl ads targeted towards women? Because they're making the, the consumer purchasing. Yeah, like if I tell Lauren right now, Hey, we should go buy this. She's like, no, I don't think so, Michael, like, whatever. <laughs> but if she says we're buying this, I go, uh, okay, sure. You know. <laughs> happy um, wife, happy life. <laughs> obviously I'm curious. Cause obviously with dear media's help, um, you've helped substantially close the gap with female podcasts and slowly we're getting to a place where there's more out there, but we still have a lot of work to do. How can we as female podcasters help besides sharing and doing the, you know, usual stuff? Well, I think it's just going in and owning the space, right? And it's feeling like confident that, you know, you're, that there's a place for female hosted shows. And I think hopefully Dear Media is championing a lot of that. Um, I also think that it's taking a look at some of the partners and, and practices that have existed and questioning them from the beginning. You're like, just not to bash that previous network, but when Lauren and I went there, there was some behaviors that we just found like, um, somewhat sexist in a lot of ways where it was like, you know, we would hear about all these big male voices and how great they were and like very like few um, conversations about females. And so I just, I think it's happening. Um, I don't know the full answer. I think one thing that I've found with the women on this network is they're very collaborative. And like what we've done at, at Dear Media is like a, a rising tide raises all ships mentality. I don't think that's been done in a lot of other places. And like my goal at some point is to just make this network so loud that it can't be ignored and it kind of updates and changes the way people have to interact, um, which is why it's enabled, it's enabled us for a long time to um, kind of keep our blinders on and not do things the way other either advertisers or networks do things. Um, you know, whenever I hear a set of rules that's maybe been set down by um, 
previously male driven companies, we kind of disregard them and do things our own way. And like, maybe that's going to take a little bit longer, but um, as you build leverage and as you, as you build this concentrated space, like it's going to be pretty difficult to ignore. And so I would just tell women to feel confident that they have a space here and to jump in and to take a chance and that um, they'll, and, and to feel supported doing so. I love that so much. Um, what do you, I know you kind of just touched on a few, but what have you learned about women and not necessarily in business, but just since starting Dear Me- Media? Oh God. <laughs> has um, it helped you at all? <laughs> I don't think it has. My dad told me a long time ago, he's like, hey man, if you want to figure out your wife or women, like learn how to train a cat and I've never figured out how to do it. So I think that's basically him telling me like, we're never going to figure it out. Um, but you know, personally, like what I've found, and I alluded to this earlier, is that, and I don't want to generalize men or women, but so many of the women that I work with on the network have such a strong point of view with how to build a brand. They had it, they know how to talk to the audience. They work really, really hard. They care a lot. And honestly, like credits women and it's again, not to bash men, but like Dear Media was started without any paperwork with a handshake between my partner, Raina, who's a very strong female founder and myself, just like, Hey, let's do this. And and I hate to say it, but like, there's a lot of men I've worked with in the past that I haven't been able to do that same thing with. So I, I found that there's, you know, there's obviously granularities, which is that there's outliers, but like overall, it's a very collaborative, very loyal space, very honest space. And like these women have a very strong point of view and they work really hard to build their brand. So if I can just like, all I'm really doing is coming in and saying like, Hey, maybe I can help point in the direction or, or provide some resources for them to do that. And then it's really like me getting out of the way. Men need to take notes. I'm curious what do you look for when you're um seeding new podcasts for Dear Media what I what I'm the most attracted to is is like a strong brand perspective and somebody who really like has a long approach to what they're doing like most of the time and and personally I've passed on people on the network that are coming like you know maybe more traditional celebrity talents it's like hey I want to do this for 12 episodes and get paid x amount of dollars and then go do something else and like I've joked during COVID this will probably get me in trouble I say like I'm not here to pay some A-list celebrities like production fee while movies are down Um, you know I'm really interested in people that want to build a brand for the long term and within that obviously we're going to monetize the show and build a show Um, but it's also like what does this look like three, four, five years down the line? How can Dear Media be helpful? What brand are we building? Um, Because I really view all of the channels and the brands and the women on this network as brands within themselves. Um, And ultimately what I want to do is turn these channels into larger opportunities that provide sustainability, not only for the network, but for the women behind these brands. Um, And so we have... It, it's it's not such a transactional viewpoint as maybe other networks are. It's really like a long-term entrepreneurial approach. I don't know if that answers your question. And then obviously they have to be a unique perspective and they have to have a, a point of reference and there has to be some talent, but um, I'm kind of out of the conversation at that point and more just focus on like, what does the business look like down the line? It definitely did answer. We had this conversation earlier this week with Allie Grant, the founder of Be Social Group, and she said the exact same thing. If you just want money, it's not going to convert into success. So, yeah, um, I know Allie. Yeah, she's so amazing. Um, How do you feel the communities supporting podcasts or podcasters are different than those of the blogs and bloggers? I actually don't see them as that different. I think like within that there's subsets of different people. But one thing I will say, and like if you're a podcaster and you're not doing this, you're hurting yourself is that, you know, I, I feel like podcasters are very collaborative and they recognize that by collaborating, they're building brands. And they're also like, I, I don't think that it's a threat, for example, 
to have some people on our show and them go on, on and then us go on their show. It's not a threat to the channel, right? Like I think we've gotten past the point where, and we've talked about this before in our show with people like Jillian Michaels and Caroline Stanbury, where in the past, like maybe there was only a few channels that could live um, and only a few networks that could amplify those channels. The internet has kind of democratized all of that. And while you could be listening to Skinny Confidential, you could also listen to this show. And I think podcasters recognize that collaborating instead of competing is a good way to grow. Um, and so I, I don't know if that answers anything, but I, th I do think that one thing I found with podcasting and like, again, this is not to take anything away from bloggers or influencers is that like, you have to have some depth. It's not about the way you look. It's not about what you have. It's not about um, a pretty picture or an edited video. Like you have to have something to say. I call it the rule of 25. Anybody can get on a mic 25 times and talk about their life, but like, what does it look like after and how do you keep people coming back? And so there needs to be depth to the conversation. And I feel like this medium um, amplifies some of that depth or also exposes some of that depth more than others. No, absolutely. Lauren mentored me for podcasting and she said very similar things. Like first you have to really have that consistency and you have to be able to get uncomfortable and ask the questions that no one else is asking because like what's going to make them want to tune into your podcast. But I, I think it that's so on the head, like nail on the head because people will reach like a hundred episodes. And again, it kind of goes to show if they're in it for the money or not, because then they just drop off and don't push through. Yeah. I mean, Lauren and I did our show. I think the first two years we made like no money. And so when people come to Dear Media and the first thing is like, how do I make money? I mean, obviously there's some things we can do to accelerate that now that we've built this network and have some best practices and the industry's grown, but you know, like you have to be really you have to really love the medium and really want to do it the money will come after and if you don't and you're just in it for the money it's going to be very difficult to monetize and now i'm not only saying that as somebody who's done our own show but somebody who's also worked with 50 others like i have i see all the data and all the analytics and the people that are most successful are the ones that really do want to do this from the right place if there is an influencer because we're seeing a lot of people shift into podcasting now um and like you said like celebrities and um bloggers they're all kind of making that jump what do you think they need to kind of like check themselves for before entering the space? First, they have to ask, like they, they, they almost have to look at it as when they started their brand initially, right? Like it's a very, it's, it's a medium that's been around for a long time, but you know, there was like, it, it's just now kind of getting its due. Like the example I use is radio has been a $30 billion a year industry for 10, 20 years now. Podcasting has not broken a billion yet. I think it will maybe next year early. Um, but it just shows you that the, the medium is still very new compared to a lot of other digital platforms. So you have to kind of go back and say like, okay, one, I'm starting a brand from scratch. Yes, I can maybe get some, some more foot traffic from the other channels I've built, but it's also not like apples to apples. One thing Lauren and I found is even though she had millions of people following on all the other channels, like it took a long time to build the podcast. And two, like, how are you differentiating yourself in the beginning, like four years ago, even though there was a lot, it was a lot easier to stand out. And now, I mean, even just looking at Dear Media isolated, like we went from seven shows to 51 in, in a year and a half or so. And so it just speaks to the appetite. And so I think you have to be unique. You have to speak authentically as yourself. Um, I tell new podcasters on the network to not look at what anyone else is doing. Don't look at a Jackie Schimmel or a Heather McMahon or a Food Heaven or a Skinny Confidential. Like don't even pay attention. Just go in and have the conversations only you can have individually and speak to the audience that you're building. These are very like, 
like just kind of like high level things, not so granular, but I firmly believe them to be true. And then really ask yourself, is this something that you can do consistently for a year or two without skipping a beat, without missing an episode, without saying, oh, well, I, you know, I went on a, a vacation and so I'm going to miss an episode or I didn't, I didn't have a topic this week. So I'm going to take a break. Like Lauren and I, even through pregnancy, intermedia and other businesses and multiple cities have never missed a single episode in four years ever, period. Um, and I think it speaks to the growth of the channel. It's like you have to be willing to put in the work. And if you're going into it and you're not willing to do those things and you're looking for quick dollars, like it's the wrong medium for you. You talked about longevity for Dear Media. Um, so I'm really curious, like what is something that you do intentionally every day to really move the needle and focus on longevity? Specifically for TSC or Dear Media? Um, give us both. Why not? So I believe if you're not evolving, you're dying. And so Lauren and I, for our channel are always talking and I mean, I think people, you'll look at the channel like, oh, 300 episodes, that's 300 hours. But like, I would say for every episode, there's three, four hours of back coordination and conversation and, and, and going through ideas of what we want to talk about. So there's that. And we always say like, what's a conversation that we haven't had that we can have? How do we push the envelope? How do we throw a curveball at the audience to maybe like bring up a topic that wasn't expected? I think during COVID, we released some pretty controversial episodes, basically one about complacency and two about not being like telling yourself that you that you're enough like actually telling yourself that you're not enough and like it really kind of like jolted people for a minute and um i think like whenever lauren and i feel like the audience is getting comfortable or in a lull and they feel like they know what's coming from us it's time to change it up and from dear, dear media as well like we got to a point where the network started to look the same and same type of women and same type of voices and so like my conversation with with the company was like we're, we're doing a, we're taking a curve here. We're going to make some announcements that you wouldn't expect us to make. We're going to go into some mediums and into some topics that you wouldn't expect us to go into. And I feel like it's constantly evolving while staying very disciplined and true to the brand that you've built. Um, and I feel like people that, again, going back to comfort, if you get comfortable and feel like things are going well, and this is just going to stay like somebody that's young and hungry, that's coming, that's a little bit um, further behind on the path is going to come and take your lunch money. And like, I'm very conscious of that. Like, I think who is the next young version of someone like myself that's coming and looking at what I'm doing and just going to take it from me. And it's very possible. And I think if more entrepreneurs and creators thought that way, they would, they wouldn't get as comfortable and they'd constantly push the envelope. You have to kind of remain a disruptor to keep breaking through and like learning new things and gaining momentum. I feel like. And you can't read your own press clippings. <laughs> like I still remind myself like, Oh, there was a time when you were really struggling when you were going back and forth in a car when nobody was listening to the show when Lauren and I were carrying a suitcase through New York when like having to beg people to come on the show I mean it's funny there's guests that like in the beginning that they're like yeah we'll go on your show but you have to fly out to Texas and meet me and come to my office and like that's the only way I'll do it and now those same people are like hey like please can I get on the show like when can I get there and like obviously remaining humble and being gracious but also remembering like there was a time when um, none of this existed and just knowing that it can all go away if you're not careful. Besides that evolving and constantly learning you talked about, um, what are some active steps that small podcasters or small businesses should be doing daily, weekly, or monthly to create that longevity? I think like we've kind of touched on it, but I, I think that it's constantly like Lauren doesn't like this, but I read, I go and read the negative reviews on the show and I, and I disregard troll reviews. I don't I'm like, you know, if it's something that's like, Hey, this person's annoying or ugly or I hate 
I'm like, I, I ignore it. Like doesn't even register and doesn't phase me. But if it's something valid, like I'm interrupting or like talking too much or, um, you know, this is being this way, like I, I take that into account. So I think it's taking an honest look about at what you're creating. And then I also think it's looking and listening to what you're putting out there and saying like, how do I improve this week after week? Like, how do I evolve this? again, like I think so many of us in the creative space, like they throw something out there like, well, that's good. Check the box for the content that week. And like, now I can move to the next. Like, I think for us, it's, it's constantly looking how to improve everything, how to optimize a business. Um, and so, and then also staying very disciplined and staying consistent. I think like, no matter what, it's a non-negotiable. Like if we commit to something, I, I touched on this earlier. Like if I tell you I'm going to do something, I do it. Like if I tell you you're getting a piece of content, you're getting it. Um, if I, if I tell a talent that I'm going to go and work on something for their show, I do it. Like um, in my family, if I say I'm going to do something, I do it. And so um, I think that there's a lot of that. And, and so many of us get off of, of discipline and off of things that we commit to. And I think that's what ultimately hurts brands. So Again, it's just staying consistent, being disciplined, constantly looking to improve. I don't know if that fully answered the question. Are you using any specific funnels or um, ways of kind of getting that feedback? Um, yeah, I mean, like my goal, like I think if you were to sit into a Dear Media meeting, you would be surprised that it's it's really not me dictating to the team. It's me asking the team like what we can do better. And I never want to I never want to have a meeting where someone where we're all sitting in a circle patting each other on the back saying how great we are. Like we can celebrate the wins, but I want to I want these meetings to talk about where the problems are and where the issues are. Um, you know, like a, an, an hour meeting where 30 minutes of it is the team congratulating each other and high-fiving is a waste of a meeting to me. It's more like, hey, we're having this meeting because there's issues that we need to work through and th in areas that we can improve. Um, and so I've, I've tried to create an environment with your media where everybody feels protected and inspired to work on exciting things, but also feels like they can have very candid conversations and figure out ways to improve. Um, and the same thing with in, in a relationship, same thing with our show, same thing with parenting. Like it's where are the areas of improvement? And sometimes like my wife will say, hey, Michael, your delivery's off. Um, it's because my intention is I try to make it in the right place, but I'm also not just interested in the in the raw, raw like cheerleading conversations. I want to have the tough conversations and figure out ways to get better. My delivery's off a lot of the time too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I know this is a question that you must get a shit ton, but... I don't even, you don't even have to answer it. I'm just very curious. Like, how do you respond to being a founder of a podcast network, having one of the top podcasts when people come up to you and are like, so how do I start a podcast? <laughs> um, again, it's being humble. Like, I think I remember, like, I appreciate that I'm now maybe somebody in a position that's had a little bit of experience building a successful show and network. And if I can be helpful, like one, I try to provide as much of that information as possible on the podcast. So sometimes I'll, I'll say to people like, Hey, you know, like there's specific episodes where we've talked about certain things. But in addition to that, if someone comes up to me and they have a, a pointed question that I can answer, like I want to do my best, obviously to answer that. I, I, I'm a normal person, just like everybody else. Like, you know, I'm, I'm still like very much just a regular guy, regular entrepreneur. I just happen to have a platform with my wife that speaks to um, a lot of people each week. But yeah, I mean, like, I don't have a problem with that. I think like again it's reading your own press clippings if you start to believe you're more important than you are is when you start to get disconnected from reality and so like to me um i'm happy to answer that it, it, it does get a little weird sometimes like where lauren gets mad at me like if i'm with my child or daughter and like people are trying to come up to her like 
she didn't sign up for some of that. So I'll maybe get a little bit more protective or say like, Hey, I'm with my family. But if it's me and I'm out specifically, like I'm, I'm happy to talk to anybody as long as it's in the right setting and it's um, done in the right way. I have so much respect for that. Um, I know we kind of talked a little bit or you touched on this a little bit, but what, if you don't mind going into a little more depth, what do you think makes some podcasts more successful than others? Is it the consistency we talked about, the talent we kind of talked about, topics, guests, analytics, or the metadata? I mean, there's so many things and I think it's all talent specific and I think it depends on the platforms that have their exposure, but I'll tell you what I think makes podcasts unsuccessful. It's when you see a watered down version of another podcast. So for example, I'll take Jackie Schimmel, the bitch Bible. Jackie Schimmel is one of the Queens of being able to do a solo podcast, say what's on her mind, how she wants, when she wants without remorse and without apology, um, authentically as herself. And a lot of times those conversations rub people the wrong way, but a lot of times like people really appreciate and, um, and respect how honest she is on the show with some of the topics she covers. And I think like, I point her out because she's somebody that has been authentically herself for so long. And when I see somebody else come in, they're like trying to do the next version of that. And they're looking to be inspired. It's, it's okay to be inspired by someone, but if you're taking someone's playbook and trying to emulate that, that's very difficult. And that's why I call it the rule 25. Like at some point, the veneer is going to peel back and you're going to have to expose your real self. So I think someone like Jackie has always been herself. So you always know what you're getting. Like you can always like, there's nobody that can duplicate or like someone like my wife, like she's always been her. And so again, she can keep doing that and being herself. The people, and if this is an Eddie creative field, any brand, like if you, if you don't, if you're, if you're constantly trying to emulate someone else and looking at what other people are doing over time, that's going to get old and it's going to get very tiresome. You're not going to be able to keep up the facade. So as, as kind of lame as it sounds, it's like authenticity is key. Um, and in addition to that, it's like, it's recognizing that your audience is much, much smarter and much more in tune than you think they are. Like they, like there's no pulling a fast one over an engaged audience. Like they know, like they know if you're not on point, they know if you're bullshitting, they know if you're not being authentic and they'll call you out. So it's like what Lauren and I say is when we have, when we do our show, the audience comes first, the guests come second and we come third. Like it's, it's like, I'm going, like I've had different types of guests on the show with Lauren and their PR people come and sit in the room and they tell me like, and they stare at us with daggers. Like, you better not ask this. You better not ask that. And I always tell them like, I'm going to ask the question regardless of you sitting there, even if you jump across the table, because I'm not putting the guests first ourselves. Like I'm going to ask the questions the audience wants to know. And I think when the audience feels like you're protecting them and supporting them, they're going to do the same to you. Whereas like, if it's a, if it's a PR push or it's something for yourself or it's something for the guests, like people are going to tune out and they're going to feel like you don't respect the relationship and these people are giving you their time and their attention every week and you really need to respect that and honor that um because if you as soon as you don't is when they go somewhere else we're all about our listeners like oh, we call them our friendships because that's literally what they are to us like we check in with them we respond to every single dm we're like we have a community that we just they're so tapped in and i feel like if we saw them on the street like we would go to happy hour and like have a cocktail and i think that's how it always has to be the counterintuitive thing about that is, and why I don't care about brands. And listen, we work with a lot of brands on Dear Media and on our show. And why I don't care about talent, other talent coming up. Like when I say talent, like guesting on the show or PR publications or any kind of like news publication or media outlet is like, they, they really don't have the leverage you think, you know, and, and I think that's clear. Like 
le real leverage comes from having a massive audience that cares about what you're saying and, and, and cares about protecting you. And so I think so many people, they get scared, like, especially in cancel culture, oh no, this advertiser is going to cancel or they're going to not renew or this publication is going to write something. That doesn't matter if you have a dedicated audience that's there for you. Like they're not, like if that audience is there for you, they're not going anywhere as long as you honor that relationship. And with that one, they're protected. And two, the channel for any creator is protected because you can't take it away. Like the, the only thing that can go away and can hurt you is if your audience abandons you for sure word of mouth and grassroots marketing is just like the the strongest like that's why it, i mean it's a, influencer marketing is kind of a form of that because it's you if you're the audience you're trusting that person like that you view them as a word of mouth or a trusted um oh my god the word is escaping me right now but referral almost so i i completely agree it literally is if you lose your audience and that's when you're not tapped into them that's what makes all the difference I'm curious. I wanted to go back to how you said you asked those tough questions, even if your guests asked you not to. Have you ever had someone say absolutely not, even when you ask the question or get up and walk out of an interview? So, well, I think maybe to clarify, what I'm saying is like if a PR company comes in the room, they're like, oh, we can only like I'm going to like we're going to ask the questions that the audience needs. That being said, like TSC is never to make anybody look bad. Like we're not trying to bring an audience. Like we're not like Mari Popovich here. Is that the guy's name? Like Mari. Like we're not trying to bring people on to make them look bad. Like really all we're trying to do is present different perspectives and ideas and let the audience decide for themselves if they identify or not. We actually just did a disclaimer on this episode today where it's like, listen, there's going to be all walks of life that come on the show. Um, some of them you may agree with, some of them you may disagree with. Same with us. Like we don't always agree with everybody that comes on the show, but like, again, the audience is smart enough to come to their own conclusions. We're just having the conversations. Um, but what I'm saying is like, we're not going to have somebody on and do softball questions to pump them up or make them look good. Like if you want that, like maybe go on the today show or, or something else. Like we're, we're really like here to have deep conversations and, and have honest conversations. Um, and so if the guests aren't willing to do that and don't want to have those conversations, like we say like, Hey, there's probably better shows or different mediums for you to, for you to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. So true. Um, okay. We're going to ask a basic question, but where do you see the podcast space going in the next five, 10 years? And what are you, well, I know you kind of talked about this, so I'm going to actually skip that question. I was going to ask, what are you doing to stay ahead of the curve? But we always changing. Well, I, like I think about when I talk to my dad or my uncle, like some guys that are a little bit longer in the tooth and they're thinking about like what's going on with podcasting. And the way I describe it to people is I believe we're going through the same shift that television went through when it went from cable television to on demand like TiVo. Um, when we went from, you know, when you can view on demand at your time for free with, with skipping commercials, like when that shift happened, like nobody's going back to regular cable television. Like it, it shifted the, the whole way consumers um, consume television mediums. It gave a rise to Netflix. It gave a rise to um, obviously Disney plus and HBO max and all these streaming platforms. I think audio is going through the same thing. I think the, the serious XMs of the world, the satellite radios, the AM FM guys, they're in some trouble. I think you're going to see a lot of dollars shift here. I also think you're going to see the rise of some very large platforms. You're already starting to see people like Spotify, um, jump into the space. You're seeing SiriusXM make some pretty large acquisitions and podcast companies. I think they just spent almost half a billion dollars. Um, Amazon's getting ready to announce some stuff. Google's going to launch Google Podcast. Apple's, um, you know, going to do something that, in my opinion, been a little bit asleep at the switch while these other guys come in. But um, I think we're about to experience that same type of shift. Um, and it's clear to me, like, you know, that audio is not going anywhere. It may not always be in podcast form, but people identify with voices and storytelling. And, 
you know, this medium is going to be protected. And what I always tell people is like, I'd rather be in a position with content to capture the next wave of whatever platform emerges, um, as opposed to um, like waiting to try to discover something. Like it's all about just moving fast and adjusting to where consumer attention goes. And, and that's ultimately how you stay ahead of the curve is just jumping into an opportunity when it presents itself and not waiting for it to prove out. So many people in the digital space, like when influencer marketing started, like, oh, like the analytics aren't there. I'm gonna wait to see if it works. I'm not gonna jump in. Same thing with Facebook advertising. Like, you know, I used to turn my ads off on Facebook when they would get 300% returns. I'm like, oh, what a shit ad. Because we were used to getting like five, 600% because nobody was doing it. Um, and it was just like, not that we were so smart. It's just like we move fast when something presented itself. And I think the same thing here. So we're just scratching the surface of where audio is going. We'll see how the podcast landscape shakes out um, and just want to be well positioned to capture any opportunity that makes sense. Okay. We're reaching our final questions. Um, what are three resources or tips that we can like have our friendships take away if they want to start a podcast? Is there a website they should check out, a book they should read, a podcast they should listen to, one of your favorite episodes that really dives into it? Um, I think like one of like if you're talking about TSC, like there's a there's an episode that we did right recently and it's like basically called Start Now or Suffer the Consequences. I can't remember exactly what episode, maybe we can link it after. Um, and it basically just talks about launching fast and adjusting. And I, I firmly believe that if you're interested in this space, like, you know, there's this, there's this resource that's really good. It's called Google. Um, and people can, go, <laughs> people can go on there and search like, what is the best podcast equipment for, you know, studio recording or at home or recording with a guest. And like, it's really easy and cost effective to figure that out. One mistake Lauren and I made in the beginning is we didn't get the best equipment. And so I would encourage um, anyone that's interested in doing a podcast to invest a little bit in the right equipment um, because the first few episodes really are your first point of entry into the space. And if it's really bad quality, like there's too many other options, people may zone out. Um, and then I think like, really, like if you, if you want to get into it, I, I think so many in any medium or any business, people make a mistake where they're thinking A to Z, like how do I build the next bitch Bible or the, what day is it? Or the skinny confidential or the food heaven or whatever it is. And they're, tr and they're trying to emulate that one. Like really what they should be thinking about is like, okay, what's the first step? What's the equipment? What's the topic? What's the show title? Who am I hosting this with? Am I doing it myself? Like what are the topics and thinking a to B instead of a to Z, like what you need to do is build momentum. And the only way to build momentum is to start taking steps one and two first. And then over time you'll get to the next step. If you constantly think to the end, um, you're going to overwhelm yourself and talk yourself out of a project. So for me, like anytime I've wanted to launch something new, I've just literally looked at the first thing I can do and I went and I go and do it. And it leads me to the second and the third and fourth. And before you know it, like you have a big project and momentum and people and people jump in and help and um, it takes a life of its own. And so I don't know if that's like resources per se, but um, it is some tips is like, I really, for, and, and I, believe you got to launch fast and adjust. The last thing I'll say is the reason I say that is no matter what, and no matter how much research you do and how hard you try and what research you find, the first version of anything is shit. Um, I'm not the first entrepreneur to say that. I probably stole that from like somebody really smart, like Mark Zuckerberg or Warren Buffett, but it's true. Um, and you're going to look at it and say, oh, like that needs some adjusting. And the only way you figure that out is by putting it out there to an audience or customer base and listening to what they have to say about how you can improve it and then improving it and, and moving forward. Yeah. I mean, we've shared, we started this podcast within a week. Like we got our equipment, we recorded an episode, we put it out and we have made so many changes since then, but you really do like, there's no perfect timing for anything. You just have to start. 
Yeah. The Dear Media Network started because we were drunk on margaritas and saying, let's do a podcast. And like, that is the truth of it. There's not some like crazy foresight or forethought and like one day the podcast industry will be this. It was literally like the only reason the network made sense is because one day it was just like, we were well positioned to do it because we had been doing it and taking some chances. Um, and like, it's, it's not because we were like a bunch of smart people sitting around saying like, oh, like we think one day this industry is going to pop. It was just right place, right time because of taking massive action. All good ideas start after some margaritas. Michael, besides your mom and besides Lauren, who is the most influential, influential woman in your life? Who is the most powerful? And then who is the most underestimated woman in your life? Hmm. Well, I would have said my mom and my wife, but honestly, I'll, I'll tell a story that I don't really tell that often. And this is like maybe the first time I've ever talked about it, honestly, openly. Perfect. We love a scoop. So a lot of people don't know this, but my grandmother is full Japanese. Like she's a full Japanese woman named Michiko. Um, she was born in Yokohama. She's from Japan. My grandfather met her um, during the war and married her and had three children, my, my mom and my two aunts. And she was, um, she immigrated from Japan to the U.S., with him had three daughters and this guy ended up leaving her emptied the bank accounts one day left her with three young babies and just left her in new york like as a woman who didn't speak a lot of english and was from japan and i the reason i tell this story is i think like the first example is one she took it upon herself to raise three women on her own she had two or three jobs my my mom's sisters helped raise her like they like really like had to grow up really fast she never complained she just put her head down and did it and i think like you know she played a large part in in my life as somebody who like you know like did what she had to do um without the help of a man and like on her own and when I think about that story, I'm like, you know, like when you think you, when you think you have it hard, like imagine being in that position as an immigrant with no money and no real resources to get um, a job or be taken seriously and having three young children in a place where at the time was a very, very like, you know, white Italian neighborhood. So they had to, they had to struggle. Um, and so like, I think probably like she would be someone who inspires me the most. She just experienced her 90th birthday. We were down in San Diego for that. And I, and I think about her and I'm like, oh, like, you know, if she can do that, there's like, like that's, that's just a strong example of a person, not just a woman, like somebody who takes on that level of responsibility on their own. And so probably her. That's like my grandma. She, um, she's 96 and she, her parents died at 16 and she had to raise her three siblings. She's the oldest. And I just like, I can't even imagine having a baby right now. I'm like, I can barely take care of myself sometimes. So to be that strong, raise three of your siblings and go from a 16 year old child to an adult like yeah and I think like you know the guy was a poor example of a man which I like in my own life like I never want to be that like not only did he leave which is you know I understand couples break up and people move on and go to different relationships but um to just up and leave without saying anything and then empty the bank account and not provide any support as a father, both financially and from a loving perspective is like to me it's just a poor example of a human um and so I think about like that struggle and what that must have been like for her. And I just think like to be able to overcome that's obviously like a very difficult feat. So, um, you know, and it's weird, like all three of her kids went on to be successful and have successful marriages and kids and all this stuff. So um, she obviously did something right. Shout out to your grandma. Yeah. Um, okay. Last question. How is post baby sex? Post baby sex. Pretty good. Uh, like honestly, were pretty you scared? Good. Um, no, I got a little bit nervous there in month nine 
<laughs> when I started feeling my daughter move around in the stomach, it felt a little bit perverse to be trying to climb on my wife. But um, now, and like on Lawrence Fighting Kevin, like back in the saddle, everything's everything's good on my end. Like not not slowing me down at all. I got to be careful that we don't pop out another one too soon. Um, hey, quarantine baby, you might. I know. A um, little bit more time, and she's like, she's probably like, get the hell away from me. Um, yeah, okay. so it's a, uh, it's uh, it's good, good. Well, thank you so much for making us and being a guest. Um, I mean, I'm sure everybody knows where to find you, but plug yourself. Um, yeah, I think the best place to find us is the, the Skinny Confidential Him and Her podcast. That's probably where like I produce the most content with Lauren. Um, personally, it's just Michael Bostick everywhere. And then like I, I would encourage everybody to check out the Dear Media podcast network, a lot of different shows, all sorts of different topics, different hosts there. So um, that's the best place. Thank you for sharing your knowledge. I can't wait to like actually meet you in person officially one day and hopefully we can connect again soon. I can't wait to, wait to meet anyone in person one day. <laughs> and follow Lauren for all of the candy content on Michael. It's really funny. <laughs> AKA Susan. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for having me. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Okay, we know you're going to like go and listen to the Skinny Confidential, him and her podcast right now. But before you do that, please make sure to subscribe, like, rate, review. All the buttons you can press, just press them. And if you've already done that, then other ways you can support us is by shopping our killer merch online at whatdayisitpodcast.com where you can get hoodies, shirts, face masks, mugs, all the goods. And make sure that you, if you do leave us a review, you screenshot it and DM it to us because we will give you 10% off of our merch because we're that nice we love you guys you support us we support you and other ways you can support us is join our group on facebook what day is it friendships we post all the links from the episode in there so if you heard michael talk about um an episode from his podcast that you want to listen to it'll be linked in there for you to check it out so don't miss that thank you for listening friendships we'll see you next what day is it wednesday Bye.